Welcome back. Another episode. Episode 88. The Off-Duty, On-Duty Podcast. I'm your host, Brian. Welcome to the podcast. Part of the ConcealedCarry.com podcast network. Along with uh, Firearms Trainers Podcast and the uh, Concealed Carry Podcast. The Off-Duty, On-Duty Podcast. We take topics relevant to today's gun owners. and We tackle them from the perspective of everyday concealed carriers. And the perspective of law enforcement officers. Today, I'm going to be joined by Chuck Haggard. Chuck and I, I think, are, I think we're going to talk about hot sauce, all right? Not the kind you eat. But first, today's sponsor, this episode's brought to you by KSG Armory. If you haven't checked them out, they are handmade custom Kydex holsters made right here in the USA. Uh, up there in Colorado. KSGArmory.com. I actually got three of their holsters this week, and I've been wearing one of them every single day. Also, EDC Belt Company, as always, the foundation belt. EDCBeltCo.com. If you haven't, please uh, check out the link to the Guardian Conference. We are coming up like it is down to the wire, folks. Uh, We will be... Here in Oklahoma City doing a three-day conference, shooting, shooting, fighting, whole nine yards. Uh, EDC Belt Co's a sponsor. I think LASR is going to be there. Mountain City Ammo, uh, Riley Bowman, myself, Wayne Dobbs, Chuck Haggard, AJ Zito, Mick Shook is going to be here. Uh, It's going to be a good time. Do a little shooting and, uh, and a little bit of teaching, so... Uh, it's kind of a good place to get like the all-you-can-eat buffet of uh, handgun handling. Andrew Branco will be back this year. Oh, gosh, there's so many. Check it out at the Guardian Conference link. It's in the show notes. Uh, there's some special pricing. There's some other availability. It's a great conference because you get breakfast and lunch, right? Like you get a little continental breakfast and uh, lunch this year. I'm not sure about but uh, Guardian Nation members, we got the, the VIP dinner Friday night at the gun club. It's a great time. It's a great hang as well. Uh, get to meet people from all over the country. So if you're on the fence, the, the time is now. We are in the, the the hour draws nigh. If I see you there, come by uh, EDC Belt Coast booth. I'll be there on site. Uh, me and looks like me and Kristen and Chris and uh, maybe Wayne will be joining us for a couple of days and uh, we'll have some limited run stuff available out there and uh, as well as uh, there'll be there'll be other product vendors set up this year want to see that conference continue to flourish and uh, grow so come on out train with us let's bring in our guest legendary lawman Chuck Haggard. And we're live with Chuck Haggard. I already introduced you in the pre-show as Legendary Lawman. Do you have any insight as to where that moniker was bestowed? Uh, that was actually the late, great William April. Okay. That, uh, I uh, I talk crap on him now. He, uh, he kind of won that one because he had the audacity to pass away before I could get him back oh. for inflicting that one on me. Okay. Um, but... <clears throat> At my first TACCON in Tulsa, uh, I met a bunch of the people that I'm friends with now, uh, William April, uh, Paul Sharp, Craig Douglas, um, guys that are well-known in the industry that I had not, you know, you internet know people, mm-hmm. uh, 
I once had a conversation with Dave Spaulding. I was at uh, NRA in St. Louis years ago, and he's walking by, and I'm like, that's Dave Spaulding. And I'm like, hey, go introduce myself. And, you know, it's like talking to an old friend because you've been talking to the, some of these guys like 10 or 20 years, you know, mm. and we were having that conversation, and Dave tells me, yeah, man, I get that all the time. He's like, hey, do you know such and such? Yeah, man, I've been talking to that guy for 15 years. I've never actually met him, but right. Uh, so uh, William April, because I'm from Kansas, and at the time I had the the like Wyatt Earp Fu Manchu mustache, and uh, he inflected the <laughs> he he kind of kind of made it very formal. It was the legendary lawman Marshall Chuck Haggard was like the full, and then oh. he abbre- he abbreviated it like you know. But uh, between him and Craig Douglas, that stuck, and it's uh, been with me ever since. Well, I knew there had to be a story behind it, uh, so I'm glad that I am able to permeate that to the listening public now. They know the background on that. And plus, you know, who's not up for a great William April story, right? No kidding. I yeah. really, I really, that's a dude I really miss. I, I got to meet him in 2019. I sat through a couple of his lectures at AttackCon, and we had we had a, a pretty good interaction. You know, he's like talking mm-hmm. cop talk and stuff like that. And then the next thing you know, he's gone. And I'm like, man, there was a guy I really wanted to get to know just because of his perspective on things. Um, was uh, Matter of fact, a year ago today, I shared some deal on Facebook of a picture of a slide I took in his class that really impacted me. You know, the, the one about... Are you willing to use violence? Are you willing to use as much violence as necessary to, to resolve, you know, an incident? Mm-hmm. Uh, and have you made the moral, uh, the moral decision to do that? Uh, and I went, man, that dude just summed up like a lifetime of training in like one slide right there. Kind of on the mindset thing, right? That was worth the trip to New Orleans and slogging through the mud just to go see his lecture. So. I, I know we met at that one and I, I think we were both equally miserable that day. So uh, that was a cold and rainy, uh, that oh. was a cold and rainy weekend for new Orleans. Mm-hmm. Th- that was right before, or no, it was right on the heels of when they had to get the skid steer to dig a drainage trench on one of the ranges. So it was an interesting time. I certainly miss seeing that guy's stuff and, and uh, the ability to actually go watch him talk was, mm-hmm. you know, pretty good loss but uh but back on track you have kind of become this default uh the weaponized condiment the hot sauce guy right like Mm -hmm. we have this great divide in police work and armed citizen on the pepper spray thing right i think a lot of the cops think it's kind of ineffective and some of the armed citizens think it's maybe the best thing ever and somewhere in the in the middle is the actual truth right yeah. So I got in on that early. I yep. started in police work in 87 and that was right after the FBI came out with a study that they were pushing the idea of pepper spray as a, as a less than lethal. And uh, yeah, they were pushing uh, Zark international capstone at that time was mm-hmm. what they were, what they were, uh, was what they had tested. So we started a program at the PD I was working at at that time. I was one of 10 officers that went through the 
instructor school, which was a four hour sales pitch. And then we got sprayed and he got a water hose and, and uh, then we got issued it out and we went out on the street. Uh, so our choices back then were a gun, uh, fists or a big flashlight or a stick that that was pretty much what existed, you know, mm-hmm. beanbag rounds, taser, ta- tasers were super primitive and didn't, didn't work. The only, the ones that existed back then were like, most people don't know. They used a taser, uh, early form of taser on Rodney King and completely failed, uh, didn't work at all. So, uh, pepper spray came out. And uh, the 10 officers in this test bed started using it at my job. And we got into a lot of fights. We had a very, very, very high crime back then. Mm-hmm. At one point in the early 90s, we had a higher per capita crime rate than Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, you know, crimes per 1,000 residents. So it was pretty bad. So we ended up using it a lot. Our use of force was we were told at the point that you could articulate that they had physically resisted or you could have probable cause to believe that they would physically resist. Like they ball up their fist, you know, F you, I'm not going to jail, that kind of thing. Before you go hands-on, we were, we were told to spray them. And the idea was what I, I don't know if I stole this or I coined the term, but the idea was to take the fight out of the fighter. So we would spray them to soften them up. And then typically past that point, it was muscle them into cuffs, take them to the jail, go get them cleaned up, you know, booked in. And that actually worked very well. Uh, Statistically, what we found was our trips with suspects to the emergency room dropped about 90%. So if if your use of force drops, uh, and a lot of people don't get that part of your level or how high your force is, the medical implications of that use of force. So why are guns deadly force? Because there's a likelihood of death and or great bodily harm. <clears throat> even without it, even without somebody dying, the only reason some people live through pistol shots is because of how uh, phenomenal modern metal, medical technology is. Uh, and I think in the cop world, a lot of people kind of poo-poo that. I don't, I don't know about your job, but uh, we would have, like, we'd have somebody shot and detectives would show up at the hospital. Is this guy going to live or, you know, is he not? And the doc would be like, yeah, no, you know, we're, he's going to pull through. So they would be like, oh, it's non-life threatening. Well, I would right. submit to you that if you got shot through the lung and they had to put a chest tube in to reduce your uh, hemoneumothorax, and now you're in the ICU, that was most definitely life-threatening, right? Right. So bullets bullets kill people, bullets maim people. So bullets are deadly force. Stabbing people is deadly force. Um, you can utilize batons, big flashlights, in a deadly force manner or specifically in a non-deadly force manner, the way they're supposed to be utilized. Um, so the medical implications of a use of force – is part of what the level of the force is, right? Right. Um, so pepper spray, what does that do? Uh, it doesn't cause injury at all. And uh, there's a lot of mythology. Oh, it kills people. Oh, it, no, no, it, it dem- it's demonstrably not using the lawyer language because in the cop world, less lethal is pretty epidemic in in the vernacular. Mm-hmm. And that's because of beanbags. They were sold originally as less than lethal, and then people started getting killed with them left and right. So 
they changed the, the terminology to less lethal, as in less lethal than shooting people with bullets. But we right. didn't say non-lethal. Pepper spray is demonstrably non-lethal or less than lethal. So very low level of force. And in fact, typically you get less injury than just going hands-on and empty, empty hand use of force. So we found about 90% drop in suspects going to the emergency room. You spray them, you muscle them into cuffs, they go to jail. We also found a, a, a corresponding drop in officer injuries and officers going to the emergency room. And, you know, the bosses prefer that we don't have a big pile of work comp claims and people on light duty and things like that, right? Because this, this all right. costs money. One of the things I point out to people is every time the cops back in the day, uh, when I hired on on night shift, uh, it was almost SOP that if you had like, you know, you're, you got a DUI suspect or somebody with city warrant or something like that. And you're like, Hey buddy, turn around, put your hands behind your back. And, and they're like, F you, I'm not going to jail. They'd get cracked in the head with a flashlight. That was like SOP. Right. Well, every time you split somebody's coconut open and they got to go get stitches at the emergency room, who pays for that? That's the taxpayer. You know, you walk into the emergency room and walk out the door without treatment. You just spent like a thousand dollars or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. So uh, part of that was cops weren't getting hurt. We didn't have work comp claims. Suspects weren't getting hurt. So it was a very successful program once it was implemented department wide. I'll tell you that in in some of the the cop world mythology that I see, Mm -hmm. our troopers went with a different product, and it was the old original Def Tech Defense Technologies, Mm -hmm. which doesn't exist anymore. It's been bought out by Safari Land. Right. But the original uh, Def Tech spray was literally weak sauce, literally weak sauce. Uh, The uh, major capsaicinoid content of the the capstan we were using, it was a pretty good middle-of-the-road product. Yeah. Yeah, it was about a 0.8 major capsaicinoid content, um, but we didn't know that back then. That's something looking back that I know now. Uh, and it was uh, using isopropyl alcohol as the the solvent, as the carrier, what, what people think of as the liquid carrier. So that evaporates very, very quickly. It also, alcohol by itself will kind of sting your eyes yeah. and will, will remove some of the lubrication, the tears that are on your eyes because it's an astringent. So the, the pepper spray hits really hard on the eyeballs, slams our eyes shut, and we had a cone shape mist so there was a heavy respiratory effect we shut people down drunks people wanted to fight stuff like that all the time well the troopers went with a different product and i started hearing stories from those guys and they're like man that pepper spray doesn't work we sprayed this guy we sprayed that guy so i'm like man that's odd because it's working great for us and they were using a stream with minimal respiratory effect and a product that was sub 0.2 back on the uh Capstone. When I came into law enforcement in 2002, they were phasing out the cone-shaped alcohol-based propellant Capstone because of this new wonder product called the M26 Taser. Yeah. And so one of one of the things that I've noticed in police work is the magic electric pistol has <laughs> defeated all of our defensive tactics programs. Cops can't fight anymore. It has ruined baton work for the police and it has wrecked pepper spray for the police because immediately people started wanting to go to a non-flammable product because the theory was, oh, my God, we're going to set people on fire left and right. 
So the formulation for some of these changed to something that was less effective. Now, since then, there are products like Sabre, that uh, the Sabre Red brand, uh, Crossfire, uh, Palm, things like that. There's some that are they're truly like taser safe that still have good effect. They're quick, um, good respiratory effect, things like that. Uh, and a very high major capsaicin content. So they're still effective. Um, but for a while there, to the detriment of everything else, the magic electric pistol taking over police work is what caused us some significant problems. Everybody I watched a, a caps done deployment on went down like a sack of potatoes. It was, I mean, it was epic. Now, Oklahoma, we got wind, man. So there was always the cross-contamination factor, right? The deciding factors was like, uh, we need to get like upwind of this dude. And and we would, you know, tactically maneuver to a place where we were going to lessen the cross-contamination. But the, the old capstan, man, it, I there were a lot of, there was a lot of cops not afterwards as well. Uh, but transitioned over to, to DevTech. And it was really effective that... I think I've used probably 50 or 60 deployments and it was really effective. Uh, but it took, depending on what area you got, uh, saturated, it, it took a second, took a few, you know, may, may take 10 or 12 seconds. So you might do some backing up or some, uh, you know, felony tap dance around somebody until it started to really take effect. Uh, but I, I had a lot of really good success with pepper spray, even the, you know, the non-cone stream, uh, non-alcohol based propellant stuff. So like I say, started out with uh capstone mm-hmm. that worked really well. And then the, the one we had had the gun trigger. That's a lot like typically that, that nozzle you see on like com- the computer duster canisters yeah. nowadays, where you, you pull it, pull the trigger like a gun and spray your computer down. Well, the, that's what we had on the uh, pepper spray canisters and we, and they were, bad about accidental truly accidental discharges you'd have it in your pouch on the belt and like you you lean over and your body armor pushes on the pouch and it goes off that sort of thing so we went with several other brands uh airco being one of them um and, and we went through a phase of quality control issues with a variety of manufacturers before my old job settled on saber which i'm still a big fan of yeah. they were kind of a, a paradigm shifter in the OC market because they were the first ones that started doing lab testing and major capsaicinoid content testing to make sure that the potency of the product was what it was supposed to be. And then they were using very high quality canisters. So you didn't have physical breakdowns of the system and that it's, so my analogy would be, it's kind of like when Glock showed up that changed the paradigm of service pistols. Cause you know, before that, you might, uh, let's say you get a 1911 for a semi-auto duty pistol or carry pistol. Well, the very first thing you had to do with that gun is send it off to a, a pistol smith to get, you know, the feed ramp throated, get real sights put on there, a trigger job. That, like you couldn't take a gun out of the box and count on it. Well, Glock kind of changed that paradigm and forced everybody else to kind of up their game, their quality control, their gun designs, their ergonomics, things like that, whether you like Glocks or not. Uh, you know, they changed the paradigm of police duty weapons uh, pretty substantially. And in my view, Sabre kind of accomplished that in the OC world. And then everybody else had to try to catch up with their level, their formulation, their level of quality control, things like that. 
Um, the new DevTech, that's that's a good company from that uh, that Safari Land owns. The old stuff, we had all kinds of quality control issues, and then then they would sell you, they would sell you a product that instead of being what my preference is, is like 0.8 to 1.3. 1.4% major capsule asinoid content. They had theirs down sub 0.2. So like quite literally weak sauce in a streamer formulation uh, with a water base. So it, it was the worst possible pepper spray you could buy, um, which is why I think, you know, I, I asked people to qualify. Well, they're like, oh, pepper spray didn't work. I was like, okay, what, what, uh, what was your, pattern what formulation did you have what manufacturer was well a lot of times it's just like the old well nine millimeter didn't work or right. you know uh that kind of thing well you know my analogy would be i've talked to people before this doesn't work that doesn't work and then you start digging into details and let's say uh you told me man chuck pistols don't work that's just bullshit you know mm-hmm. they're they're worthless for self defense and i'll be like man Brian, that's pretty odd so uh you know tell me about your scenario well i had this beretta 22 short and i shot this guy in the pinky toe and it didn't slow him down well let's let's back up here and kind of analyze this thing you know because right. there there's some problems with your conclusion and how you got there yeah and that's uh yeah, I mean, I grew up in a gun shop. Eighty-seven to eighty-nine, I was, you know, working the counter at a gun shop, and I would hear all about how forty-fives did magical things, and nobody should ever carry a nine millimeter. And uh, the police shootings at the time that I was very aware of, because my dad was still an active cop, and the guys getting in shootings were the guys coming in and out of the store all the time, right? So, and the ammunition quality back then was pretty suboptimal. So, uh, we, you know, we would hear the horror stories about, oh man, the nine didn't work. This didn't work. That didn't work. And then nowadays it's kind of like, why would you carry a 45? Like, I mean, I get it if you're a purist and all these things, but yeah, it's, you have to qualify a lot of that information. Um, and then I saw some shootings where ammunition didn't really work the way as advertised, but on mm-hmm. the back end, there was you know, a bad guy that didn't uh, do any more bad stuff. So, you know, shot placement was a thing, right? Like it, it, mm-hmm. it actually was a real thing. So uh, anyway, back to like pepper spray, uh, my first experience with it getting sprayed in the police academy, uh, I had like no effect for, for several minutes, uh, actually until I hit the shower room. And then I was like, oh man, and I'm still to this day not convinced that it wasn't just the residual major capsaicinoid in the air of the shower room with everybody trying to de- de- decontaminate themselves yeah. uh, than it was the actual deployment. Um, and then since then, we have switched manufacturers, and and I think the manufacturer's game has gotten a lot better. Um, and I'm the kind of masochist we were – exchanging texts the other day. I'm kind of the masochistic kid that will actually test live pepper spray on himself, you know, in a semi-controlled environment. And, uh, I have an all new respect for palm pepper spray, but along those lines, you were talking about major capsaicinoid content. So for those of us that are not, uh, I, I don't want to use the word nerd, but like, we don't get too far into the details. What does that mean? So when we first started out like that, uh, 
that they didn't really quantify what you had in the canister. Like the capstan was a 5.5% solution. Okay, whatever. Solution so of what? Right. Yeah, that DevTech said they had a 10% solution. Part of the problem with that is uh, cops are just like Tim the Toolman. If you offer Tim the Toolman a chainsaw or a chainsaw with a turbocharger, what's he going to pick? Right. You know, uh, so 5.5 or 10%. Oh, I'm going to go with 10%. Well, then they started playing the SHU game, the Scoville heat units, which was initially the the Scoville heat units, which you typically see in a one of those charts. It's kind of... Mm-hmm pyramid upside down pyramid shape and it'll have bell peppers that are zero on the bottom and you know jalapenos and then you know on the top whatever's supposed to be the hottest now like ghost peppers or you know habaneros or something like that be on the top and so scoville heat units well that scale that wilbur scoville came up with was literally a taste test which is rather subjective so uh, major capsaicinoid content, what we're talking about is doing actual lab testing. So my analogy, again, would be why do, why do people smoke weed? Not because they want to smoke a weed, but they smoke it because it's got THC in it. So THC is what makes weed something that people want to smoke, right? So peppers, if the, the heat of the peppers comes from oleoresin capsicum, or when you boil that down, the oily resin of the capsaicin, it's the capsaicin is the active ingredient that causes that heat effect or that feeling of heat, which is, it triggers an inflammatory process in the body, uh, causes you, you know, eye spasms, copious tearing, a lot of vasodilation. That's why people have red eyes, red faces, things like that, because those blood vessels are really open and expanded. And it activates the pain receptors. So there's no actual heat. There's no actual burning like you touch a hot stove. But in the nerves feel like that's what's going on. That's that's an intense sensation of heat without there actually being any heat. So when you do the lab testing, you get what your major capsaicinoid content is. So you have there there's there's capsaicin, there's dihydrocapsaicin, there's a whole list of them by the, with the chemical names that, uh, that are all clumped under major capsaicinoid content. Um, so that's what you want to look for for high-quality pepper spray. If your pepper spray manufacturer can't tell you what the major capsaicinoid content is, then what they're selling you is bullshit. Uh, because they don't know what's in, they don't know what's coming in the can. Uh, and there was lab testing before. I mean, there was lab testing of aftermarket stuff in a research project that was done back in the day before these manufacturers were did self testing at the factory. And some of what they found was that the claimed uh, heat factor or capsaicinoid content of the sprays was sometimes overstated by the manufacturer by a factor of 100. So let's say they said they had uh, 1% major capsaicinoid content, just as an example, when they might actually have 0.01%. Well, that, that's a big deal. If you went to the, uh, if you went to the gun store and let's say you had your your dad's, I don't know, your granddad's pre-World War II victory model, you know, that uh, that you wanted to shoot. So, you know, yeah, dad, I don't want to blow up the gun, so I'm going to get some 
you know, what the gun was built for. I want to get standard velocity, 158 grain round nose lead, because that was the service load back in the day. And if you went to the, the gun shop and you're like, hey, I want some standard velocity, 158 gram round nose lead. And they're like, well, here's just some, we got some 38. Was it 38 Special, 38 Smith & Wesson? And they tell you, well, I don't know. Well, what's the bullet weight? That's some, somewhere between 100 and 200 grains. What's the velocity? Is it standard pressure plus P plus P plus? Yeah, we don't know. Well, it, you know, you clock that ammo and it's somewhere between 400 and 1300 feet per second. You got you got problems. Right. Well, that's literally the state of OC in the early days. There was there's no controlling authority like Sammy for ammunition that you know you know if you're going to buy. 158 grain, 38 special, you know, the bullet's going to be the correct diameter. The pressure is going to be, be between these variables that makes it standard pressure. You know, you can count on that because there's a controlling authority. Well, those see, there's no such thing. There's absolutely no regulatory oversight on this. So the manufacturers um, can do basically whatever they want, have quality control, no quality control, uh, whatever the case may be. The only pepper spray that has some regulatory oversight is bear spray, which is very highly regulated by the feds because it's an animal repellent. So just like, well, you know, <laughs> we wanted to get on top of things like we were killing all the eagles with DDT back in the day and, you know, things like that. So uh, there's a lot of regu regulatory oversight on pesticides, animal repellents, herbicides, things like that. So bear spray is very highly regulated and the quality control is very high because of that. But the pepper spray they make for people, there's no controlling authority. And that's part of the problem that I've tracked down in. You know, well, you know, Bob says pepper spray doesn't work because he had a bad experience. Well, he was using a low tier shit quality, you know, weak sauce pepper spray and just made the extrapolation that that applied to everything. Yeah, I my experience with it has been really good, uh, with the exception of about 10 people that were on PCP, which mm -hmm. is, you know, at various times in my career, various areas of town we could always tell when somebody had dropped a shipment of PCP. It, it, yeah. It just the, the criminal element got weird. I'll just put it that way. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, you know, one of the effects of that, which you and I are familiar with is, is the pain compliance is not a thing. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've seen people with broken appendages fighting like, uh, their Muhammad Ali, you know, uh, missing appendages in, in a couple of cases that uh, decided to challenge cars to fights, you know, and yeah. still fought the officers on scene. So uh, I kind of look at those as that wasn't a, that wasn't a bad knock on the, on the pepper spray. It, mm -hmm. it they, I've, I've seen people on PCP that were shot and didn't, that had no effect. So uh, some yeah. of them fatally. So <laughs> it's, it's a heck of a drug, but, uh, yeah, you got, they got a significant mind body disconnect at yeah. that point. Yeah. And that, that was the only, the only times I had, I, and I wouldn't even call them negative experiences. It just, they, it just wasn't effective. Um, those were more the anomalies than, than others. Uh, and I've seen varying degrees of effect, but that's interesting that there's no regulatory, uh, for people spray. Uh, so yeah. 
along the lines of bear spray, I've actually heard uh, some of the self-promoting self-defense instructors recommend that, well, bear spray is better because it's 0.3% or, you know, whatever they they do. So maybe we can mm-hmm. talk to that for the armed citizen populace out there. So I've, I've seen it both ways on the internet. I've seen okay. people claim that, well, bear spray is less powerful than police strength spray or you know, you're going to get in trouble because bear spray is too powerful. Well, regulatory wise, they have it topped at 2% major capsaicin oil content. So when, when your average police strength, for want of a better term, a lot of your better pepper sprays are a 1.3 or 1.4%. And they top out regulatory wise 2% for bear spray. That tells you that that's pretty warm, right? Uh, so bear spray works very well on people. It's just, you know, a big, uh, almost fire extinguisher size can of pepper spray typically deploys in a, in a cone shaped blast, uh, in a fogger mist. Uh, the, the most similar thing to, for use on people is the large canisters you would see for like riot control. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a, a lot of those will reach out to about 20 feet away, whereas a pocket unit, like six, eight, 10 feet is pretty good range. So, uh, to, to clear up a couple of things the bear spray and oleoresin capsicum OC spray for people it has exactly the same, exactly the same active ingredient in it. Uh, bear spray isn't less powerful. It is uh, regulatory uh, topped out at 2%, which is that's a lot of OC in a product. Um, so it, it can be very useful for uh, self-defense as well. And I've known people like people that don't want to have a gun in the house that will have a bear spray or if they're in bear country, I mean, it, it actually works on bears. Uh, our mutual friend, uh, Caleb Causey had to spray a charging black bear when he was uh, hiking in a park with his family, uh, he had his wife and his baby with him, And uh, he had been through my pepper spray class. And then afterwards uh, got a hold of me after that incident, man, it was just like you said, and, you know, thanks for the information, yada, yada, yada. So, you know, I, I have a bunch of successful people, students using them against bad guys. Uh, and a couple of them where they had to defend themselves against bears. So uh, thus far, we're 100% on bears. So that's a good thing. Um, well, I would but, have thought for Caleb Causey, he probably wouldn't have needed to spray because black bears typically aren't that big. So I would have yeah. thought it would have made a good wrestling match at the very least. But mm-hmm. no, all all jokes aside, I, I didn't know that about Caleb. So uh, I think I'm going to have to have a T-shirt made. I sprayed a bear uh, something. <laughs> but uh yeah so now we've got uh you know we got a we got a pretty good picture on the the le stuff and the in the uh the bear spray stuff let's talk about you know joe armed citizen out there that you know legally carries a gun and i was very i won't say i was opposed but i was i was pretty cautious about recommending people to carry pepper spray uh, mainly because I've been the subject of a number of cross contaminations and they've never taken me out of a fight, but at the same time, I've been sprayed so many times that it's like, Hey, this is just going to hurt. Get back to business. Right. And not having, you know, maybe armed citizen have that experience of, Hey, this is not permanent. It's not, it's not going to kill you. It's just going to hurt. And, 
I, I was kind of hesitant. Like, you know, my mom was, well, I don't want to carry a gun. I want to carry pepper spray. And I'm like, I don't know enough about uh, the armed populace side of the house to really say, yeah, it's a good idea or no, it's not, or take brand X over brand Z. Yeah, so, sure. so maybe you give, give it a little insight on that. So one of the, one of the things I like to tell people is it's really pays off to have something between a harsh word and a gun. Uh, that's so having, having that option, uh, and one of the, the maxims of life that I pointed out to cops for years and I pointed out to, to our citizens is if you use enough force competently early, you often don't have to use more force later to dig your way out of a hole. So in the police world, one of the most glaring examples was Kyle Denkeller. Uh, when all any everybody in the police world saw that video, and he, you know, he eventually dies horribly, screaming uh, in pain in a gunfight. Uh, when the bad guy in that case was going back to his truck to to get the rifle, all the cops that I that I knew were watching that video were like, "Man, why didn't he shoot him? Why didn't he shoot him? Why didn't he shoot him?" And I'd submit to you that that was the wrong question. So why didn't he pepper spray him or punch him in the face or, uh, you know, do a double leg takedown and drop him on his head, suplex him into the ditch, something, have an effective use of force early before he allowed it to turn into a gunfight. So uh, in the civilian side of that, let's say because a lot of people are familiar with the case, George Zimmerman. So we got the George Zimmerman, Trayvon Martin event, and I'm going to give George Zimmerman the benefit of the doubt, the doubt in this scenario. Uh, I never did uh, really figure out if he was legitimately neighborhood watch or self-appointed busybody, whatever the case may be. Right. But let's say he's legitimately doing neighborhood watch because they're having car burglaries and he thinks Trayvon is a, you know, a prowler. And so they have this confrontation because he's following him and he doesn't want to be followed. Well, we know what happened. It turned into a physical fight in which uh, Zimmerman ended up on the ground, having his head pounded into the pavement. And he, he made a lot of bad decisions that night. He was carrying a Caltech for one. So, you know, right off the bat, his judgments in question. Um, But we know in close quarter uh, grappling fights over guns, a lot of times if the suspect can touch your gun and you go for your gun, you end up in a gun grab or grapple over the gun. So George lucked out. The problem with that is uh, fortuitous outcomes reinforce poor tactical decisions. So a lot of people think, oh, well, you know, I'm in this ground fight. I'm going to I'm going to uh, go for a gun. Well, that really hardly ever works out the way it did for George Zimmerman. And then Trayvon was having a bad day because he took a single bullet uh, and died, which, you know, with pistol bullets, about 90 percent of the people shot with pistol bullets lived through the experience, you know. So we add all that up and what happens, George ends up on trial for murder, et cetera, et cetera. Well, if we rewind that scenario to the point where, excuse me, Trayvon is having a confrontation with George Zimmerman. Let's say George Zimmerman pulled out a can of pepper spray, sprayed Trayvon down, backed off and called 911. What are the odds that you would have ever heard of Trayvon Martin or George Zimmerman? And the odds are almost zero because it never would have turned into a fatal shooting that became this, you know, cultural event and allegedly racist thing, stuff like that. You know, Um, it would have saved him 
yeah, he won, you know, he was found not guilty at trial, but I'm told by people in the industry, he's, you know, half a million dollars in the hole with legal bills, uh, lost his house, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, the price he paid was really heavy for that. And it could easily have been short circuited by simple tools and training. Yeah. I, I like that phrase, something between a harsh word and a gun. Now, is that the, the block that you're going to teach at Guardian? Uh, Riley has asked me to do uh, managing unknown contacts, and I'll probably incorporate some OC into that. Okay. As as a <clears throat> when I do my managing unknown contacts, when you have a street encounter, one of the things I talk about is like trigger points and decision points. At what point? Can you use an intermediate level force, you know, legally, morally, ethically? At what point can you draw a gun? At what point should you be shooting your gun? So that's that's part of what I talk about in that managing unknown contacts at muck paradigm. Yeah. Um, and now that I've, I've been exposed to some of the armed citizen side of, of pepper spray, I, I, I don't hesitate. And especially now that. And this is not a shill for Palm. They don't pay me, uh, <laughs> but it's convenient to carry. It, yeah, it's easy very, to carry, right? Um, and it's it's pretty unassuming looking. So uh, and and it's very effective. And I can you know personally account to, or attest to that. But <clears throat> I look at something. I, I and I always go back to the my mom kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. would my would my mom be better off carrying a you know, a Ruger LCRX or a can of palm pepper spray. She's in a pretty low risk environment. And the flip side of it is if she deploys the palm pepper spray and it's a mistake, maybe she read the situation wrong. What is it? A, a maybe an assault and battery ticket. Yeah. Sorry. Never happened again. Here's a, here's a, you know, a $500 fine. And I promise that'll never happen again. And <clears throat> You know what I mean? Whereas if yeah. she makes a mistake with the other, man, that's a life altering thing, right? That's you can't yeah. undo that. There is no uh, water hose for a gunshot wound. Right. So yeah. Anyway, I, I've, I've talked about that at length about if, if you make a, a incorrect decision, uh, that's one of the few uses of force that you can get a my bad. Uh, I'm sorry. You know, you can almost get a take back, uh, so you can't you can't do that with bullets and that was gold thanks chuck i appreciate it man i appreciate chuck coming on um ksg armory edc belt co and and a reminder chuck and i are going to be teaching at the guardian conference again for the second year in a row this will be the second annual now second annual so uh come on out and train Chuck's going to do some managing unknown contacts. I'm going to do the skill builder 0.5 again, and I may do one on deliberate practice. I don't know. I got to talk to Mr. Riley Bowman. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. They're all over the place, man. Subscribe. Give us a like. Give us a five-star review. Makes me feel good about myself. All right, the Off-Duty, On-Duty podcast is a production of Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC.
Training and Consulting LLC presents the following content for educational purposes only. Always take proper precautions, follow all firearm safety rules, consult with a competent firearms instructor, and have trained medical staff on hand when operating live firearms. Legal content, commentary, or explanations do not constitute legal advice. We are not attorneys and recommend always consulting with competent legal counsel when researching or seeking to understand laws and legal application. Eastridge Training and Consulting LLC, its participants, partners, and affiliates are not liable for any action taken based on the content of this shared podcast. 